So I'm in my early 20s. It's a Saturday night, and I like to drink and do drugs and really do anything that is going to separate my mind from my body. I'm with four of my good friends. They also like to drink, and that's what we're all doing tonight. We're having a good time. But as for drugs, uh, that's not for these guys. They don't partake. At least, not like me. So it came as a surprise when my friend KG asked me if he could smoke some salvia. A hush filled the basement we were in. Everyone's laughs evaporated. Balls on the pool table clinked and slowly rolled to a halt. KG smoked salvia, I thought. Nah, how does he even know I have that stuff? Oh, okay, I guess he's heard me talk about it. Come on, Bent. I know you got some, KG said to me. I did have some. I had some of that good shit, too. A hundred extract. I'm pretty sure in many states that shit is illegal now. But here's the thing with salvia. It is not a party drug. No, it's anything but. It's a journey. It's a spiritual journey to another realm, another dimension. A trip so intense you're introduced to another reality you didn't even realize existed. And that reality is more real than the real you experience in your everyday life. It's not weed where you get stoned and giggle about everything and feel a little paranoid and get the munchies. No. This stuff, salvia divinorum, it's not something you play with. No, I said. No, KG said. No. What the fuck, man? What do you mean no? Come on, just let me take a little hit. It's no big deal. I'm a little drunk. KG's a lot of drunk. And I try to reason with him. Dude, you are not ready for salvia. You are in no capacity to even touch that stuff. So no, I'm not letting you smoke it. KG presses me. Man, I'll be fine. I've smoked weed before. This ain't weed, man. This is heavy shit. This isn't something you just smoke at a party. It will fuck with your mind, man. You're drunk. Hell, even if you weren't drunk, I still probably wouldn't let you smoke it. Salvia is something you have to prepare your body, mind, and soul for, man. I can't let you do it. It wouldn't be right. Dude, whatever. I'm fine. I'm not even that drunk. Come on. What's the worst that can happen? I don't know. You could have an existential crisis and realize that the world we perceive to exist in is actually only an illusion that we ourselves created and continue to project as a result of our ego and true self, which you will come to realize and see is the only thing that really matters and that all creation, existence, and non-existence is rooted in that self. You will see the beginning and the end and realize that neither exists nor doesn't exist. You will no longer see yourself as a leaf or a twig or a branch, but rather you will see yourself as the tree. That's the worst that can happen. All this I thought to myself and then realized, maybe that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's a lot to take in, but maybe he needs this. Maybe he does need to experience the big bang, the birth and death of everything. Maybe he needs to see God. At the very least, it'll give him a good dose of humility and he'll learn not to pass salvia off as a casual drug. As everyone in the room still remains silent and looks to me for an answer, I shrug my shoulders and say, Fuck it.
Yes! KG throws a fist of victory in the air. He has no idea what he's in for. Now, determined that I'm going to teach KG a lesson, I give no hesitation in getting my stash of salvia. I also grab a pipe, pack it for him, and hand it over. Remember, I warned you. I let go of the pipe now in his hand. Ah man, whatever. This is gonna be awesome. KG places the pipe to his lips. He lights the other end. The purplish-green salvia burns orange and turns to ash as KG inhales. Take a big hit and hold it in, I coach him. KG does just that. As he holds his breath, the room gets quiet again and time slows down so much it feels like it's stopped. As the seconds slowly tick by, KG's eyes get wider and wider. Bigger and bigger they get. His face is turning red. Veins are popping out of his head. His eyes are practically bulging out of his face now. Jesus, how long is he going to hold that hit in? Holy shit! Just as I'm about to yell at him to breathe, his mouth pops open. Smoke spills out and he gasps for air, coughing a little bit. Jesus, you didn't have to hold it that long, KG, I said as we all laughed. You see, the longer you hold in salvia, the more intense the effect, the trip, the journey. And well, it didn't take long for us to stop laughing and realize that KG was on his journey. His eyes stared at nothing. His face was pure nothingness. He was gone. We could all tell he was out of his body. He wasn't saying anything yet. We wondered, well, I wondered, what he was experiencing. What was he seeing right now with his soul's eyes? Where did Salvia take him? Suddenly, KG starts to mumble. We all lean in to listen. His voice is barely audible, but it's getting louder. Thus, we all laugh a little. What? I ask. Thus, mama, I'm all right. KG pointed his finger down to the floor. We all laughed a little more, and I asked again, What the fuck are you trying to say, KG? He popped his head up, and he looked around like he was looking for me, like he was looking for where my voice came from, as if he couldn't see me. And I knew he couldn't. He also looked worried and concerned. I told him, Hey man, we're right here. I know you probably can't see me, but if you hear me, I'm right here, and everything is okay. There's a murmur. There's a murmur. KG continued to mumble the same dribble and kept pointing, this time frantically at the floor. What is it, KG? KG popped his head up one more time and looked severely concerned and shouted, There's a fucking mermaid right there! KG is aggressively pointing his finger to the ground in front of him. There is a fucking mermaid right there! Me and my friends are rolling on the floor, laughing our asses off. And why is there water everywhere? KG shouts as he raises his knees high towards his upper body like he's trying not to get his feet wet. There's barely any land to stand on. Where did this fucking mermaid come from? 
My friends and I can't breathe, we're laughing so hard. Oh my gosh, KG is throwing his knees up, trying to keep his feet dry from all the imaginary water. He bumps into the pool table, he keeps looking back at where the alleged mermaid is. It is fucking hilarious. My friends and I are crying from laughter. But then, then KG gasps and stands still. He's slightly looking upwards again at nothing. But he sees something. In whatever dimension he's in, he sees something. I have no body, KG says. I hush everyone in the room by signaling them to stay quiet. We all hush and focus on KG. I, I have no body. KG repeats. This time he sounds almost like he's going to cry. All my friends look around at each other, silently concerned. Hey KG, we're here. Your friends, we're all here, and it's okay. I know you probably still can't see us, but everything is fine, buddy. Oh, thank God. I can tell that him hearing my voice gave him some peace. I felt like I could tell that KG was at a point in the journey where shit was getting real. He was seeing the universe connected to himself. He was seeing himself as one with the cosmos. He was getting overwhelmed. Hey buddy, again, we're here and everything is okay. You just gotta ride this part out, man. Just let go. I can't let go, KG said. Okay, okay, it's cool. You don't have to. KG telling me that he couldn't let go caused me to be concerned, mainly because it's exactly what I thought during a salvia trip I took of my own. Everything's cool, man. Is there anybody there with you? Yeah. KG sounds like he's about to start crying again. Look, KG, look man, it's almost over. Everything is okay, I promise. You are here in Brian's basement. Your friends are here with you, okay? Okay. Okay. You're going to be okay. It's almost over and you'll be back here with us, alright? Okay. Okay, alright. KG seemed to calm down momentarily. We all waited in silence for him to come back. To reality. To this reality. KG's breath seemed to slow down, signaling that he is relaxing more and more. His eyes start to search the room. He looks up and down. He touches himself. Then he extends his arms out like he's trying to touch something that isn't there. Then he touches himself again. He touches his face like he's trying to convince himself that he's a real flesh and blood human being. Or, I thought to myself, he's trying to convince himself that he's real, that he exists, because wherever he just was, was more real than real. He turns to us and finds us with his eyes. I'm back, he said. Holy shit, I'm back! His trip was over, and it had only lasted about five minutes. It's worth mentioning here that before KG took that hit of salvia, he had had an upwards of six or eight beers, and he's a little guy, so he was feeling it. And after the journey was over, he was completely sober. Holy shit, what the fuck was that? KG sounded panicked, and he ran up the stairs of the basement. We all followed him. 
Once we reached the top of the stairs, KG was standing in the living room saying, You gotta call the hospital. I don't feel right. I feel weird. Call an ambulance. KG was in full panic mode. I grabbed him by the shoulders and I told him, I said, you're okay. This is normal. That feeling is normal, trust me. Salvia has a lingering effect on your body after you come down from the trip. Sometimes it's not pleasant. It kind of feels like your muscles are being pulled out of your body. Not in a painful way, just in a really weird, this ain't normal type of way. Nah, man, you're wrong. This isn't right. Call an ambulance. KG, trust me, I shouted. This is normal. You are okay. I promise. You are not going to die. I'm not going to die. You are not going to die. I promise you. You are okay. That feeling, that pull you feel, it will wear off. I promise. Okay. Okay. KG takes in my words and begins to settle down. Our friend Brian speaks up. Hey KG, how about we go outside into the garage and we all smoke a cigarette? You think you can do that? You think smoking a cigarette will help you feel better? Yeah. KG's voice trembles. Yeah, let's smoke a cigarette. And how about another beer? I'll get you another beer, Brian tells him. Yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. Another beer sounds great. Let's do that, KG says. Brian hands him another beer, and we all go smoke. While we're outside, we think of other topics to talk about to get KG's mind back to normalcy. I can't remember what it is we all started talking about, but whatever it was, it worked. Soon KG was laughing and commenting and cracking jokes like nothing had ever happened. Until... We were all passing the lighter around to light our cigarettes. It went to KG last, and as KG lit his cigarette, he looked up. His eyes fixated on something behind us. His face went white. His eyes got big. His jaw dropped, causing his cigarette to fall out of his mouth. And finally, he dropped his fresh new cold bottle of beer that shattered when it hit the concrete. What the hell, KG? Brian asked. A tear was strolling down KG's face as he continued to focus on something behind us. We all kept looking back, searching for something significant. Nothing was there that we saw. Just Brian's garage wall full of power tools and miscellaneous equipment he kept in his garage. What is it, KG? I asked. KG continued to cry and quietly repeated, I'm okay. I'm okay now. Everything's okay. We were all utterly confused. What are you talking about, buddy? Brian asked him. KG finally broke his gaze, wiped his tears, and began smiling. Everything's okay, he said. Okay, that, that's great to hear, I said as we smiled with him. But what the hell is going on? What are you talking about, man? When I was there... In the other place. When you were tripping? I asked. Yeah. I went somewhere. Yeah, for sure. We could tell. I told you, man. Yeah, but you don't understand. KG went on. Somebody or something was there with me. I got scared and somebody was there with me. We all got kind of quiet again. Yeah, okay. We get it. What happened? I asked. I got scared and 
and they told me something. We all leaned in with anticipation. They told me that I would know that everything would be okay, that I would be safe when I saw the train. As KG said this, he pointed up. He pointed at something behind us. Behind us was a great big banner. The banner came from where our friend Brian went to college, which was Purdue University. Purdue University's athletic teams are called the Boilermakers, and their logo, which is illustrated and takes up most of the space on this giant banner that KG was pointing at, is a train. I just wanted to add a footnote to KG's story real quick. Um, it's just a little detail that I thought was extremely interesting while while I was um, producing his part of the episode. Um, while I was writing KG's story and, and uh, recording and producing it, um, in between all of this, um, I was listening to an episode of a podcast that's about um, past life regression therapy and about reincarnation and the guest on this particular episode was um, someone who <clears throat> could reveal a lot of information about spiritual guides, and she, she speaks about how spiritual guides can contact us through, through meditation, through our dreams, and through psychedelic experiences. And the one spiritual guide that she, she really focused on were these guides uh, that resembled mermaids. And she was sure to mention that, like, you know, she wasn't sure if they were, you know, actual mermaids, like Ariel from The Little Mermaid, like, but that was the only way for her to really describe these entities, is that they looked like mermaids. And so I thought it was so extremely interesting that while I was writing this particular story, um that I, you know, I came across this episode of, um, of this woman who talks about a spiritual, spiritual guides who present themselves as mermaids. And when I say uh, writing this story, I just mean that I'm interpreting the story. This is a true story. Um, my friend's name, of course, isn't actually KG. Um, I, I kept him anonymous, but, um, but yeah, you know, the fact that he saw a mermaid course he didn't know what to do with that information or what to do when he saw this mermaid but the fact that he saw a mermaid and the fact that I just so happened to come across this episode of this woman speaking about our spiritual guides contacting us through psychedelic experiences and how some of them present themselves as mermaid it just blew my mind and so I just wanted to add that in there and mention that so let's move on Psychedelics. Have you tried them? I've tried a few. 
not all of them. There's still a few I'd like to try. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Parasensory. It is good to be back. It's been a while. Of course, today's episode is, yes, about psychedelics. You're going to hear some stories uh, about a couple of people's experiences and is my own personal experience. And what I really like to focus on with these stories is how the experience under the influence of these psychedelic drugs, um, how they interact with our everyday reality, which kind of leads one to believe that, hey, maybe there's a little more to these experiences. Maybe this just, maybe, maybe these aren't just drugs that we take recreationally. Maybe these aren't just um, psychedelic experiences. Maybe this, maybe there's more to these experiences and these journeys because how else are they communicating with us in the everyday reality that we live in? Uh, so without further ado, let's just get right into it. Strap in, set your frequency to the strange. It is time for another episode of Parasensory. I found myself in a void, like like just darkness, but it, it wasn't exactly empty, but at the same time it was. And I could see my apartment, but it was like I was seeing it through this window. And I quickly realized that this window I was seeing my apartment in was actually my eyes. And I quickly began to realize that I was no longer inside my body. In fact, I had no body, but yet I could put myself in my body and look through my eye holes. I know that sounds insane and crazy, but if I could try to explain where I was and what I was seeing, it, it's nearly impossible. But So it was like I was in this void and there's this wall, that this, this gigantic wall as if you're at the border of something. Like you're at the edge of reality and, and there's just this wall and it goes on forever in every direction and right where I was, this wall connected to my body and I quickly realized that my body was seemingly cut in half and like my insides were scooped out but yet there was still like a brain and, and organs and I could put myself in this scooped out body of mine and look through the eye holes as if I'm like I'm in a house and I'm behind the walls but I'm looking through a hole a peephole in the wall that's how that's how this was that's that's what I was experiencing and it terrified me uh, because I knew this was my body and I knew that I wasn't in it I seriously thought that I had died and this was death So, 
eventually something happens, something appears, something manifests, I guess you could say. It was, the only way I can describe it is it was a carousel of mannequins. Just these lifeless, genderless mannequins. There was no, um, there was no sex organs, there was no hair. Some did have breasts, but that was it. And I guess they had masculine features and, and uh, feminine features, but, but they were spinning in the void and, and they were approaching me. And the closer they got to me, it was as if they were trying to pull me to join them to, to become a part of this carousel. And I resisted. I, I, you know, no, I don't want to become a part of this carousel, you know, and I was terrified. And so the carousel leaves and um, I am so scared. And somehow I ended up manifesting this silhouette of a man, a human's body. It's just this dark silhouette of a human, of a man. I, you know, assumed it was me. And this voice comes out of nowhere and says, no, no, this can't be, this doesn't belong here. And it destroys this silhouette of a man. And so then after that, I, I created this, this statue um, of myself. And it was this golden statue. It was it was beautiful, and I looked like this Greek god or something. And, and I could tell that when, when I would create these things, I wasn't as fearful. I would be so terrified, but then I would create this thing that was familiar. It was a body, it was a human, it was a man, it was me. I could, I could relate to it, I, you know, um, and it, it gave me a little bit of peace. But this, this disembodied voice, this entity, would come back every time I would create something, and it would say, no, this, this can't be, it must go, and it would, it would destroy it. And I would kind of talk back, because it was terrifying, and I would say, why are you doing this? And it would say, you have to let go. You have to let go. And I knew what that meant, but I couldn't. I, I, I felt that if I let go, I wouldn't be able to come back. And so it destroyed my statue. And so then the next thing I, I manifested was this gigantic pyramid. And from that pyramid sprouted uh, land and grass and trees and this lush jungle and it was it, it was so beautiful and then from the jungle came all these people these thousands and thousands of people and they were all worshiping this this temple and this temple was me it represented me and this voice came in and just said no it has to go and it destroyed it and so at this point you know, I'm so scared, but then I think, I say, you know, something's here, somebody's here, and they're talking to me. Okay, well, that's good, and, and I, it brought me a little bit of peace, because, hey, you know what, I'm not alone. But then I immediately, just as quick as I felt peace, I immediately became that much more terrified, because I thought, what the fuck is here with me? something that I can't see, but I can hear. I don't even know where the fuck I am. I, I feel like I've died and something is here talking to me. So out of sheer terror, I asked this thing, 
who are you? And it says, you know exactly who I am. And even though I don't have a body, I, I have to be shaking my head. And I say, no, I, I have no idea who you are. I said, yes, you know exactly who I am. And I'm so scared and I tell it again. I said, I don't know who you are. Who are you? And even though, again, I didn't have a body, this thing touched me. This thing, it, it didn't just touch me, it pushed me. And I didn't feel it on my body, I felt it in my soul, in my spirit, in my essence, whatever you want to call it. It touched me. But it touched me as it simultaneously said, I am you. And when it said you, that's when it touched me. And that's when it was as if the Big Bang happened. Shit just exploded. And it really was as if I was witnessing the Big Bang. And I was the Big Bang. I was the beginning of everything. Not just the universe, but all things that exist and don't exist. It was the all of, of everything. It all was rooted in me. I was the universe. I was expanding. I was up and I was down. I was forward and back. I was left and right. I was white and black. It, it was incredible and there's no way to put it to words, but, but I was connected and one with everything and was being shown that I was one with the cosmos, with all things that exist and don't exist. And I could see across the universe. And across the universe, I could see myself. And all the way across the universe where I could see myself, I could also see these two silhouettes of head and shoulders. One was upright and one was upside down. One was coming from the bottom, the other was coming from the top. It was upside down and both of them were getting closer and closer together as this experience intensified they were getting closer and closer to where their heads finally touched and i know you know anybody listening to this that it's hard for me to explain or illustrate but if you could just imagine a silhouette of head and shoulders upright and another silhouette of head and shoulders that's upside down and they're coming together and their heads touch and and when their heads touched across the universe I came down from my trip. I slowly found myself in, back in my apartment. And, it, I, you know, finally I, I was back. I was, I was out of the journey. I was back home in my apartment. My buddy was sitting next to me. He's asking me, hey, man, are you okay? Are you all right? You know, are, are, you, are you out of it? You seem like you're out of it. Are you back? And I didn't say anything. And I didn't move a muscle but I knew that I was back in my apartment. I haven't even moved my eyeballs, but I am back in my apartment. This is, this is the point where it was crazy for me. I was back in my apartment, but I could still see the two silhouettes touching heads. And I'm thinking to myself silently, not moving a muscle. I'm thinking in my head, how am I still seeing this when I'm in my apartment? 
I'm no longer tripping. Am I still tripping? How is this here? How am I still seeing this? And, and what I realized, because I finally moved just very slightly, and what I realized is that I was, I was looking at this picture on the wall. It was framed, and the frame, is, is, it's plastic. It's not glass. It's not in a glass. Um, it doesn't have a glass cover. It has a plastic cover, like a plexiglass. So it's not smooth and straight. It's more curvy. And within those curves of the plastic, there's shadows. And depending on how you move, it looks like an upright silhouette of head and shoulders and an upside-down silhouette of head and shoulders touching heads. Depending on which way you move, they would come together or they would come apart, depending on which way you moved. And the shadows would move with you because of your perspective. And it might not seem like much, but in that moment I thought, how in the fuck did my trip come out here to this reality? It's like it's communicating with my everyday reality. I'm back, but yet I'm still seeing this. How is this possible? This is insane. So that was my trip. It lasted for, you know, five minutes. But as I did some retrospection, um, some internal introspection, um, it's kind of redundant. I thought about each thing I experienced in this trip. I think it was something that prepares you for death. And first of all, the this void, you know, I don't I don't know what that is, but but these carousel that that carousel of these soulless mannequins, you know, it it just felt like. Um, like that was something that that wanted to take me away, that wanted me to um, conform to something, conform to something that I'm not, conform to my ego, conform to conform to something that just didn't seem healthy for my spirit. And I can't, you know, put my finger on what that is exactly, but it, it, I just got this intuitive feel that, that this is bad news. I do not need to join these soulless creatures. Something else I forgot about the trip was there was like this tornado that barreled on top of me. And I've, all, I've read in certain writings about the Vedics and, and ancient Vedic writings and, and just ancient cultures of when they used um, things like ayahuasca or is it a bogaine? Um, I, I may be pronouncing that wrong, but they would describe God as this... Um, this vortex, this vortex that bears on top of you, showing dominance, showing that it is, it is the ruler, it is the creator, and it is also the destroyer. And there's different ways that it's been described, but it can suck you up or it can bear down on you, but it represents God. I just wanted to mention that that was something else that I experienced. So whether that be God or not, you know... <laughs> I'll accept anything at this point, but I think when I started creating the the silhouette of a man and then the statue and then the pyramid, I felt peace when I would make those things and I really felt that was me trying to cling on to my, e my ego. I really think that was me trying to attach myself to the ego and something familiar instead of letting go and experiencing the experience and being a part of the journey. I was, I was fighting it by creating these 
egotistical manifestations. And if you remember, the voice was telling me, you got to let go. You just have to let go. And of course, I was just so afraid. I felt that if I let go and I just let the journey take me that I just, I wouldn't come back. Uh, It was terrifying. It was a terrifying thought. You know, what if I never go back to this reality that I'm used to? Part of what made that so terrifying is within the trip, within that journey, oh my God, it was, it's so much more real than real. Like this real that we're experiencing right now, you listening to this, me recording this and talking about it, like this reality, it's, it has nothing on where I was in this journey. I, and I can't describe it. It's just the only, only way I can describe it is that it's more real than real. And so it's just very intense, and that's what makes it even more terrifying or makes it more peaceful. I don't know. It just depends on your state, your spiritual state, your mental state. So then there's the voice. This voice is telling me to let go. It is trying to guide me. And of course, once I ask it who, who it is, it tells me, I'm you. And the way I took that is, you know, it was trying to make me let go of my ego, my ego that attaches itself to the identity of me, Bitten Pittman. I am not just Bitten Pittman. That's my ego, that's my identity I attach myself to, but what I really am is I am part of what is the whole, the true source of light, the Father, God, the Creator, whatever. I mean, like... I'm looking out my window right now and there's a tree and I mean I could say hey there's a leaf on that tree or or look at that branch or that twig or or whatever it may be but truly what that is whether it's the leaf the branch the twig whatever whatever it is that I'm looking at what it what it truly is is a tree it's all just part of the tree and that's what this this guide is telling me I am you because you are all. I always go back to when Jesus would say, I am the great I am. I, I finally kind of realized that maybe he wasn't meaning that like, I'm the great I am, I'm the great healer and forgiver and redeemer and this and that. No, he was trying to take us into what is true reality, which is you are a part of the whole. I am means I am, we, we are all one. And if we are all one, we no longer is we. We becomes I, and I am. I am all. I am all there is and ever will be. I am all that isn't and never will be. And that's what this voice, this disembodied voice, this entity showed me. I am you, because you are all. You are one, you are, I am. God is silent. I wanted to add a quick detail to the story you just heard about my experience. 
And that is that I, I felt bad the next day that I was so afraid to let go and I couldn't fully experience what I felt like I should have. And, and my buddy who was with me at the time of the experience, he had just had um, the same experience. Um, well, it wasn't the same, of course, but he he had also gone under the influence and had, you know, what he described as a wonderful, peaceful experience where he he did choose to let go and it was he just described it as incredible and so the next day it was probably less than 12 hours later I wanted to try this particular drug again I said this time I'm going to let go but I could I could tell inside I was still so scared and so I pushed past the the fear and I took a big hit of this particular drug and I felt all the things that I would always feel when doing this drug. And right at the moment when it felt like I was supposed to start tripping, I stopped and the, these voices came to me. It was more than one. And these voices came to me and said, not right now. And I said, what are you talking about? And they said, you're just, you're not ready come back when you're ready. And I'm not kidding you, I snapped out of it and I was completely sober. Um, I still to this day can't explain it. Um, I know I took a gigantic hit of, of this drug and, um, and nothing happened. This is kind of where I, you know, want the focus of this podcast to be is how these these psychedelics, these drugs, these experiences connect with us in our everyday reality, uh, leading one to conclude that there has to be more to these things. There has to be more than what we see, what we know, what we've, uh, what we, you know, at first glance and at face value take from these things and these drugs and these experiences. There's got to be more. How do you explain disembodied voices and entities telling me you're not ready and then me becoming completely sober and also I just want to point out what I got from those voices telling me you know you're not ready come back when you're ready I just took that as you know I literally I'm not ready I'm, I wasn't prepared spiritually or mentally and they were just telling me, you know, it's just not time. You just don't need to worry about coming back here and trying to experience this or take whatever lessons we have for you until you're ready. Um, and so I just wanted to mention that as well. I don't even know if I'm still ready. That was, gosh, that was over 10 years ago. Um, but maybe one day we'll, we'll see. So anyway, take it as you will, um, food for thought. Let's move on to the next story. This story was told to me from a friend of a friend. We'll call this friend of a friend, Dimitri. Dimitri, according to my friend, knew how to make ingestible DMT, dimethyltryptamine. DMT, as many know, is a psychedelic drug. 
It can cause hallucinations and other psychedelic effects, but is used by many to have deep spiritual revelations. DMT is known for allowing you to perform some deep introspection on yourself and overcome subconscious character defects, spiritual hindrances, as well as the fear of death. It has been historically used by many cultures all over the world for ritual purposes. Dimitri also knew to take MAO inhibitors along with DMT to experience the full effect of the drug. When DMT is ingested, your body has MAO enzymes that help break down the DMT chemical compound, making it ineffective. Taking an MAO inhibitor along with the DMT interferes with the action of the MAO enzyme and stops the breakdown of DMT in the body. So one night, Dimitri had produced a new batch of DMT and decided to test it. At the beginning of his journey, Dimitri found himself in an empty void. This was not his first rodeo, so he remained patient and waited for something to happen. He waited to encounter spiritual entities or arrive in what seemed to be a terrifyingly beautiful dimension. But nothing came. After waiting for so long in this void, it seemed that so much time had passed by. Suddenly, Dimitri felt severely lonely, and he began to weep. He wasn't sure what to make of his experience so far, but it concerned him a lot. The feeling of loneliness was so heavy on him, all he could do was cry. After some time, Dimitri lifted his head and noticed that he was in a great hallway, like a great cosmic corridor. The corridor had a greenish hue and it stretched for what seemed like eternity in each direction. The ceiling was high and the whole corridor seemed to be made of marble or stone or granite maybe. Dimitri didn't know, but whatever it was, it looked ancient but simultaneously pristine. Then, he noticed a woman, a beautiful celestial entity that was clearly not human, but favored the human form. Hello, um, where am I? Dimitri asked the woman very nervously and very cautiously. You're in sort of a place between, the woman said. A place between. Between what? Well, it would be hard for you to understand right now, but just look at it as a place between spaces, between lives, between locations, between time, the woman said. Dimitri did not quite understand, but accepted it. In front of the beautiful woman was a pedestal with a large book. What's that? Dimitri asked. This book? Well, this is your life. The life that you're experiencing at the moment, that is. You have, of course, experienced many lifetimes. Dimitri isn't quite sure what to think, but continues to be open-minded and accept what he is experiencing, acknowledging that he is under the influence of DMT. But all this seems so real. More real than real, he thought to himself. May I read it? The book? Mm. I really shouldn't let you do that. It may not be a good idea, the woman said. Somehow Dimitri eventually convinced the woman to let him take a peek. 
Only a few pages and that's it. Do not abuse this, she told him. At this particular time in Dimitri's life, he was getting over a long-term girlfriend who had broken up with him not long before this journey. Once Dimitri had possession of the book, he flipped the pages back to find the part of his life with her. Then he flipped forward to see if they would get back together. In the midst of flipping and reading through the pages, he happened to see some future events in his life that included getting married to another girl and having a child. Because Dimitri had no interest in either marriage or being a father, he halfway convinced himself that this was all absolute bullshit. But this all still seems so ridiculously real, he thought to himself again. But I don't have the desire to father a child, and I sure as hell don't ever want to get married. As he continued to sift through the pages trying to find the fate of his lost love, the woman approached him and firmly placed her hand on top of the flipping pages, hindering Dimitri from searching any more. Stop looking for her, she said. Dimitri wondered how she even knew what he was doing, but at the same time, considering how strange all this was, he was not surprised. That chapter of your life is over, and you must start the next chapter. You have already learned all that you need to learn from that part of your life. Now it is time to move forward and take on other lessons. With his head held down in defeat, Dimitri said, I just miss her and I just wanted to see if we would get back together. You are not getting back together. To do that would cause stagnation in your spirit's growth, Theophilus. Theophilus, he thought to himself. Did she just call me? What did you just call me? Theophilus, that is your name, she said. <laughs> My name is Dimitri. The woman did the equivalent of an eye roll and exhaustingly said, Dimitri is your name on earth in the life you live at the moment, but your name is Theophilus. Dimitri was then having a hard time being as open-minded and accepting as before. He was slowly beginning to feel how real all this was, how paradigm-shattering this is, how familiar all this was to him. Dimitri began thinking. Where was he? How exactly did he get here? This isn't like any other DMT trip he's ever had. Who is this woman? How does she know so much about him? How does she know so much in general? Who the fuck is Theophilus? And the most terrifying thought and question. Will he ever get back to the reality he's so familiar with? Is he stuck here forever? He asked the woman, I don't think I understand. You're not going to understand. Not right now. I mean, look at you. Technically, you're not even supposed to be here. And on the other hand, you're exactly where you're supposed to be, the woman said. At this point, Dimitri accepts defeat and confusion and shakes his head in bewilderment. Look, you can stay for a little while longer and we can talk about whatever you like. I'll try to answer your questions as well as I can, but some questions may remain unanswered for now. But before too long, you will have to go back, the woman told Dimitri. A sudden rush of peace filled Dimitri. Maybe it was the assurance that he would make it back home 
or the fact that the woman felt so warm and inviting. Staying forever now didn't seem like such a bad thing anymore. Dimitri then made the choice to forget about his ex-girlfriend and take in this otherwise rare moment with this wise entity. Dimitri and the woman spoke for what seemed like several hours, but the feeling or presence of time, the feeling of progression, moving forward, the unexplainable sensation of perceiving time as something linear, did not exist in this space. It was strange, but not worrisome. It was different, but simultaneously familiar. Here, time felt complete. After coming out from under the influence of psychedelics, it is not uncommon for the subject to not remember much about the experience, kind of like waking up from a dream. It might have been vivid as you were dreaming, but once you're awake, it's difficult to remember what your dream was even about. Because of this effect, Dimitri did not have much memory of his in-depth conversation with the female being. In retrospect, Dimitri actually believes this was intentional. He believes that maybe the woman didn't want him to remember, because what he does remember during their conversation is thinking that he was being given the secrets to the universe. He also remembers the very end of this experience. At some point during their conversation, the woman tells Dimitri, it's time for you to go back. Dimitri, so enthralled by their conversation, pleads with her not to send him back. He wants to learn more about what she has to teach him. He desperately wants the conversation to continue. He actually wants to stay now, even if that means for eternity. The woman told him, it's not time for you to stay. Dimitri hangs his head and accepts that he must go. Though he doesn't know how to leave, Dimitri just begins walking down the eternal hallway away from the woman. It just felt right inexplicably. But before he got too far away from her, he turned around and asked the woman, Will I ever come back here? Will I ever see you again? The woman giggled at Dimitri and told him, <laughs> You ask that every time you come here. Dimitri then found himself back in his home, back in this dimension, where you are listening to this story right now. Back where time is linear, and where dreams and psychedelic experiences involving female entities discussing the secrets of the universe with you are difficult to remember. I also want to note that years after this experience, Dimitri did, in fact, marry a woman and is now a father. Thank you guys so much 
for joining me in this last episode of season one. Um, we're going to have um, many more episodes in season two. Um, we're kind of changing our format. We're going to do one-on-one interviews uh, of people telling about their personal experiences. I'm really excited um, to get into that and get those episodes out. Um, thank you so much for uh, supporting the podcast. Just listening to the podcast uh, helps me out so much. Um, if you want to support the podcast, um, you can look me up on Instagram, parasensory.podcast. Um, you can actually go to parasensory.com. You can search for this podcast and you can donate up as little as 99 cents a month. The Every little bit help, helps, guys. If you, if you guys like these, these episodes and these stories and this podcast, um, as little as 99 cents a month can help me tremendously and you can cancel anytime. So if that's something for you, please check it out. Um, you know, if, if, if you do end up donating, um, thank you a million times. Thank you. I also want to give, um, a shout out to everyone who has just blown this podcast up um, this past year. Um, thank you to the all my fans in the UK, Canada, Australia, Ireland, Bahrain, uh, India, Slovakia, Germany, Sweden, Argentina, Finland, Bulgaria, New Zealand, Greece, the United Arab Emirates, uh, Spain, South Africa, Norway, Hong Kong, Poland, Russia, the Netherlands. Denmark, Romania, Israel, Austria, France, South Korea, Dominican Republic, Belgium, Switzerland, and last but not least, Brazil. Guys, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please reach out to me, parasensorypodcast at gmail.com. Please reach out to me on Instagram. Tell me about your stories. Let me include you on this. Let me feature you. If, if you're unsure about something like that and you want to remain anonymous, I can keep you anonymous. I can change your voice. I can do whatever I please. Uh, but I just need stories. I crave these stories. I, I've got to hear more about how this world is more than what we see. Guys, thank you so much. I'm going to end with that. Please stay safe. Stay weird. Keep your frequency on the strange.